Hey Rebel Rouser, welcome to Star Wars 7x7. I'm your host Alan Voivod, and this is episode number 908. I've had to do in-memoriam episodes in the past, and this is the toughest one to date. By now I'm sure you've heard the news, but on the off chance that you have, then I'm sorry to be the one to break it to you, but Carrie Fisher, our beloved Princess Leia, then General Leia, Senator, Icon, Hutzlayer, she has passed from this world. She was 60 years old. On Monday's podcast, I shared with you an update on everything that had happened and everything that we knew about the situation with Carrie and her cardiac event on Friday. There wasn't a lot announced to the general public, and even in the wake of her passing, there still hasn't been very much announced about her medical condition and what may have led to the cardiac event and what happened afterward. It's the sort of thing that I suppose on the one hand, the paparazzi would be ridiculously hungry for and would probably pay top dollar for so that they could get the exclusive scoop and sell all the magazines and all that. But I think you and I as fans, our interest in it is a lot different. It's like losing a family member for us, and we want to know the details. We want to understand. I feel like if we could be at UCLA Medical Center and talk to the doctors and hear it ourselves, that somehow it would feel more fitting, it would feel more appropriate for you and I to be able to have that kind of experience and that kind of closure with it. But of course, I'm sure you and I ultimately respect the privacy of her daughter, Billy Lord, her brother, Todd Fisher, her mother, Debbie Reynolds, and all her family and friends. And if we never find out the details, then I'm sure you and I will be just fine with that. Now, mentioning the podcast on Monday where I updated you on her condition, I had done some research, again, under the caveats of not being a medical doctor. But there were things that I read that suggested that it was entirely possible that she could not only survive the incident that happened, but that she could actually recover and be the carry that we knew her, that fierce, indomitable spirit. And unfortunately, it wasn't to be the case. And even as I did that episode, there was still that part in the back of my mind that I'd be lying if I told you otherwise, but there was that part that was starting to prepare for the podcast that I'm doing right now. Not from the perspective of what I would actually say to you in this podcast. I mean, I know there are news sites that have probably hundreds of obituaries pre-written and stacked up and ready to go for all sorts of cultural and political and entertainment luminaries and that sort of thing. And yeah, that's not what's going on here. I mean that from the emotional sense. And yeah, the shock is wearing off. And, you know, it feels similar to how it felt when Kenny Baker died earlier this year. But of course, it's different in its own way. And it does make you stop and realize that it's as much for the loss of Leia Organa, it's as much for the loss of R2-D2 as it is for the loss of Carrie and the loss of Kenny. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that for all the millions of Star Wars fans out there across multiple generations, the large majority, the lion's share, never had the pleasure of meeting Carrie Fisher in person, never had the pleasure of meeting Kenny in person. And as weird as it may seem, there's almost an equivalency with losing Han Solo in The Force Awakens as a character and losing Carrie Fisher as a person in real life. And she had a very complicated relationship with fame and the attention that it gave her, so it seems, I guess, only fitting that it's not necessarily a clean break in the sense that we're losing both Leia and Carrie, and it's not as simple as losing one or the other. But I think you and I would be doing Carrie a disservice if all we talked about was Star Wars. I mean... You know, when you think about how the folks in the Lucasfilm Story Group talk about 
bringing outside influences into Star Wars and how important it is that Star Wars doesn't just reference itself, but that it references all of these other external cultural touchstones and political touchstones and moments and icons and that sort of thing. In a similar fashion, we need to consider Carrie not just as Princess Leia, as Senator Leia Organa, as the Hut Slayer, as General Organa. We need to consider who Carrie was and what she brought to the role and to the Star Wars galaxy far, far away. She was already a blossoming talent before she ever set foot on stage in London for Star Wars. She had been in Shampoo, the Warren Beatty movie in 1975. That was her debut. And as we know from The Princess Diarist, her journal entries, the ones that were exerted in the book, were absolutely stunning, beautifully insightful, and so achingly honest and cut spared to the bone. It's so ironic to read those entries and realize how incredibly talented she was as a writer and to hear her writing about her self-doubt, her troubles with self-confidence, and being able to value who she was as a person, knowing that the quality of what she was writing was such that it would propel her to incredible heights. In addition to having more than 100 credits for acting and writing and producing listed on IMDb, she is also an award-winning novelist, a non-fiction book writer as well, and even did a play on Broadway, a one-woman show called Wishful Drinking. And those are just the public credits. The private credits, man, if you had a career where you could say that you were partly responsible for the success of this slate of movies that I'm about to read off to you, then you would have had a terrific career just with that alone. But let me back up a step here and give you the context. So for about 15 years or so, Carrie Fisher was hugely in demand as a Hollywood script doctor. She was highly sought after for punching up dialogue. And it wasn't just for George Lucas properties. She worked on the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles and also did dialogue punch-ups for all three of the original prequel movies, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith. In what I can only assume is a partial list, she worked on Hook, Lethal Weapon 3, Sister Act, Made in America, Last Action Hero, So I Married an Axe Murderer, My Girl 2, Milk Money, The River Wild, Love Affair, Outbreak, The Mirror Has Two Faces, The Wedding Singer, The Out of Towners, Coyote Ugly, Scream 3, Kate and Leopold, Intolerable Cruelty, I mean, yeah, Maybe not, you know, every single movie that's been Oscar nominated, but gosh, certainly a lot of movies that did very well at the box office or gained their own cult followings. And bizarrely, I got a copy of So I Married an Axe Murderer from my sister-in-law for my birthday this year. She's a huge fan of the movie and I dig it too. And we've been talking about having to have a movie night where we all watch that together with our families, but alas, it has not happened. Now we have a little bit more motivation to do so. Okay, so that's the professional part of Carrie's life. There is also the deeply personal stuff with the drug addiction and bipolar disorder that she suffered. And this part, I honestly didn't know and still don't know how we're going to talk about this. But we're going to talk about this because, of course, it gets very dryly mentioned in all the official obituaries and news stories about Carrie had problems with drugs and alcohol or Carrie did cocaine on the set of The Empire Strikes Back. Or Carrie went to the hospital because she accidentally overdosed on prescription medication and sleeping pills in 1985, and that's when she initially got sober. Okay, so yeah, there's all of that stuff. Over the years, she has been increasingly transparent 
about her drug use and about her bipolar disorder, and she's become an advocate on mental health issues. In fact, there's a portion of her website that is dedicated specifically to delivering mental health resources to people seeking aid and comfort. And comfort is just the word that jumped out of my mouth just now, but as I was reading stuff about Carrie prior to recording this podcast, one of the things I came across is the What I've Learned interview that she did with Esquire magazine. That's a great series that's been going on for, gosh, maybe close to two decades at this point. But she was interviewed, and one of the things she said in it is that she got a fortune cookie that said, you will always be surrounded by comfort. And she says, I wrote after it, but you won't always be comfortable. And then there's the column that she just started writing this year for The Guardian, where she actually invited Guardian readers to submit questions that she would answer, almost a Dear Abby sort of thing. And the last one that she answered back in November of this year had to do with somebody who had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and asked her how it's possible to find peace with that diagnosis. Carrie has talked over the years about all the different kinds of therapies she's done, including electroshock therapy, to blast the cement around her brain, as she puts it. But in this answer in The Guardian, she talks about participating in groups and participating in group therapy. She says, initially, I didn't like the groups. I felt like I'd been banished to sit with a group of other misfits like myself to sit still for an hour. But then someone said, you don't have to like these meetings. You just have to go. Go until you like them. And she said that took her by surprise, that she was shocked by the concept of doing something that she didn't like to do. And she said... If I didn't have to like it, if I just had to effectively put my head down and move through some uncomfortable feelings till I got to the other side, what a notion. My comfort wasn't the most important thing. My getting through to the other side of difficult feelings was. However long it might seem to take, and however unfair it might seem, it was my job to do it. So what I take from that, and what I take from the stories that I've been reading, not just in the past few days, but stories I've been reading about her for decades, is that In spite of everything, in spite of the drug use and the alcohol use and the prescription medication abuse and all of the fears and self-doubts and lack of confidence and all of the terrible demons haunting her inside, despite all of that going on, she managed to find hope. But not just hope by itself, hope enough also to motivate herself into action, to turning her situation around. And if there's any theme in that galaxy far, far away that resonates more deeply with all of us, it's that same kind of hope, that same kind of action taken in the face of seemingly insurmountable odds, all fueled by hope. So maybe that's another reason why it hurts as much as it does. And over these past few days, I've been going back to a quote that I read not too long ago from Dr. Brene Brown, who is the author of the best-selling The Power of Vulnerability and who had one of the more famous TED Talks in all of history. She says that he or she who is willing to be the most uncomfortable is not only the bravest, but rises the fastest. And when you go back and you read Carrie Fisher's writing and you see what was going on inside of her heart and inside of her mind, and you compare that and contrast it and look at it in light of what she put out into the world, who she was in the public eye, and what she meant to millions of fans the world over, not just Star Wars fans, but people who appreciated the work that she did for feminism, for mental health advocacy. It becomes difficult, if not impossible, to overstate the effect that Carrie had on our popular culture. That being said, 
she was one woman. She was a mother, a daughter, a sister, a wife, a lover, an actor, a writer, producer, advocate, comedian, raconteur, dog lover, ultimately a person who seemed to find comfort in her own skin and found it by turning herself inside out and letting the world know exactly what was going on with her, no matter how strange, no matter how crazy, no matter how desperate, no matter how wonderful. And weren't we lucky, you and I, to be graced by her irreplaceable, irrepressible presence in our lives. I think I will wrap this up by grabbing and twisting Donnie Yen's line from Rogue One, Chirid Emway's oft-repeated mantra, where he said, I am one with the Force and the Force is with me. Carrie is one with the Force now. And as Carrie herself said in the original Star Wars, it's not over yet, because... Episode 8 ended filming in July of this year, and all of her scenes had been filmed at that point. So we will still get to see Carrie on screen in December of next year. And when we see on the screen where it says, In loving memory of Carrie Fisher, when they put it on there, because you know they will, I know you and I will both shed a few more tears at the bittersweet joy of having Star Wars for so long in our lives, and yet knowing that there are things about it that must come to an end. So rest in peace, Carrie Fisher, and may the Force be with all the rest of us as we learn to move on without her. Thank you for listening.